In Ephesians 6, verse 16, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is a verse that we're going to bring front and center to you over the next few weeks. And we really hope that it's one that you will uh, take into your being because I believe that it tells us some very important things. The first is that there is an evil one. The evil one by the name of Satan. The one that goes around, the Bible says, prowling like a roaring lion waiting to devour. And the one thing that this evil one wants to do is to pull you away from God and pull you out of the kingdom of God to move you from life into death. There is an evil one and that is, his, uh, his, that is uh, what his mission is. And one of the tactics he uses, this verse tells us, is that he shoots flaming arrows at us. That is imagery that Paul is uh, using from the, the fighting of the day where they would take their arrows and they would dip them in tar, they would dip them in pitch, they would light them on fire and then shoot them. And as they were shot, it just looked like this huge uh, fireball just coming straight at you, which would cause great fear in, obviously, the ones that it was shot at. And the enemy does that. He comes shooting at us. He does it in many ways, but for the purpose of this series, we are going to talk about the ways that the enemy shoots the flaming arrow of doubt at us. The flaming arrow of doubt. Doubt is when you lose your certainty. Doubt is when you begin to question truth. Doubt is when you are no longer sure of, a, a, of what you thought was a stable situation. Barner Research has found that of those who are self-identify as Christians, that 65% would say that they have doubts about their faith. I read a report this week that uh, a second most Google search is doubting Christian faith, doubting a doubts about faith. Doubt raises itself up near the top of one of those ways that the enemy shoots his flaming arrows at us. And this really was his very first tactic when he talked to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember what he said to her? He said, did God really say? Putting doubt in her head. The enemy begins to shoot these, these arrows, the evil one, to pull us away from God, to lead us from life to death. But the good news is that we are not defenseless because God has given us the shield of what? The shield of faith. God has given us the shield of faith. And the scripture tells us that when we hold up the shield of faith, you can extinguish those flaming darts of the evil one. Not that you might, or if you're lucky or on a good day, you'll be able to extinguish the flames of the evil one, but you can extinguish the flames of the fiery arrows of the evil one. And so we want to talk specifically today about how you can extinguish a flaming arrow of doubt. 
And the one that we're going to be talking about today is the doubt about God's word. When we simply say, you know what? God's word doesn't add up. And sometimes the enemy comes at us in that way. So I think I need somebody to be the enemy. And as I was just scanning the horizon here, there's nobody better than John Benchek. John, could you come up here and be the enemy uh, today? All right, I, I had such a choice and I'm like, who, who, it just grabbed, God told me, John, that you needed to be the enemy today. All right, so as the enemy, we know that the enemy always wears a red cape. So if you could put that on uh, for me, that's your costume piece this morning. So the enemy uh, comes at us with the doubts. And maybe it comes at us with the doubts about God's word. And he said, we're reading through God's word and we're reading along and we say, you know what? Uh, there's contradictions here. Did, did Jesus carry his cross or did Simon carry his cross? Who carried the cross? It, they, they tell us different things. We sometimes we read in the Bible and we're going along and it seems to us that there are just natural events that go against uh, science, right? A talking snake, water from a rock, a sea that parts in half, a burning bush, a, bu a voice from a burning bush, and people being raised from the dead. We read along in the Bible, and it just seems in some ways that maybe there's God who is, who is uh, seeming to condone cruelty. Or, or death of people. I told the people, march around Jericho and then shout and all the walls are going to collapse and everybody in Jericho is going to die? What kind of God is that? And we start questioning as we start reading through the Bible. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to say to us, he wants to say the Bible doesn't add up. No. There we go. Let's hear it. The Bible doesn't add up. The Bible does not there we go. Do you got a sinister laugh you can do with that? <laughs> there we go. The Bible does not add up. And so what he does is he takes his flaming arrow, all right, theater of the mind. This is a flaming arrow for insurance purposes. We are not lighting the, the flame, arrow on fire today. And we're going to give him a bow, and he is going to take his arrow, and he is going to shoot it at us right up there. Here you go. He's going to shoot it at us. And as you shoot it, you say, the Bible does not add up. Yeah. How do, how do we feel about the enemy right now? The Bible, you can, get it, you can get it closer because I have a hunch the elastic is a little weak on that. The Bible does not add up. Boo. There you go. It doesn't work because what do we have? The shield. the shield of faith. How about I increase the odds? How about I give you a finger blaster? Do you know how to work these? Put that around your finger and shoot it. This is a flaming finger blaster. Theater of the mind again as the enemy shouts at us. The Bible does not He may have hit us, but we have the shield of faith, and so we end up extinguishing the flaming arrow of the enemy. So, enemy, boo to you. 
John, I have a pin, a shield of faith that you can wear proudly. You can take your cap off. Let's hear it for our enemy today. So the question is then, when we get this doubt about God's word where the enemy comes at us because he does, as I said, 65% have this, we read along and we think, what is going on? How do we put up that shield of faith? How do we put up that shield of faith? I think the first thing we do when we put up that shield of faith is we get to know the story. We have to know the story because God's word, which I left down here, because God's word from the very beginning to the very end is a story. It's a story. It's a story about God. It's a story of God as he interacts with his creation. It's the creator telling his creation about himself. It's the revelation of God telling us a story. Eugene Peterson says this. He says it is a an immense, sprawling, and capacious narrative. It is a story that works itself out as we think in four stages as we think about creation and we think about rebellion. But then a God who so wanted to be with his people and love his people that he found a way to redeem them. And not only did he redeem them, but in the very end, he's going to restore them. This is God's story from beginning to end. And it is told through poetry. It is told through song. It is told through narrative. It is told through legislation. But at the end of the day, it is one story written by 45 different authors over a span of 1,500 years living on three continents and dealing with three languages. And they are unified in the telling of this story. And so many of our questions and so many of our doubts come quite simply because we don't know the story, because we're Bible illiterate. And so we have questions and we have doubts and it doesn't seem to make sense because we don't know the story. Last night I took uh, advantage of the uh, Xfinity Watchathon because I'm cheap. And so there were lots of uh, free movies on that I normally wouldn't have access to. And so I chose to watch Spider-Man Far From Home. It's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All right? And so I started watching Spider-Man Far From Home. And as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Who is Iron Man, and how do you kill an Iron Man? How is that even possible to kill an Iron Man? How, how is it possible that people could blip? What is a blip? And how do people blip? And how do you come back from a blip? That's pretty dumb. How do you come up with glasses that talk to you? How is that possible? And so I begin, I'm watching the movie and I'm asking these questions about a whole lot of things I don't understand. And the reason I don't understand them is because I don't know the story. I need to watch all 23 movies there you go. to understand the story. 
Now, the point of this is not sure that I'm going to make a deep dive commitment to understanding that whole story. But I do want to encourage you this morning, as we come with doubts, to know the story. We are God's people. We are God's children. We profess a faith in God. And we say that we need to know his story. And research tells us that one out of five believers don't even read the Bible at all. And only that one out of five read it once a day. There's a whole lot of us that are not engaged with the story that we say we're giving our life to. And so we need to know the story if we want to deal with the doubts. So when we're reading through the narratives, when we're reading through the laws, when we're reading through the poetry, we know how it relates to the story. How the one piece fits in to the whole. This is one of the reasons that, that we offer the Immerse Bible reading class here so that people can get to know the story. The reason uh, that the women's groups are going through the book seamless so they can understand the story so their faith will grow. It's the reason that we're using the gospel project in our children's ministry because it teaches the narrative of the entire story because we want our children to be people of faith so when the enemy comes to attack them they can hold it up and say, no way Satan, that's a lie because I know the story. And this is why we do it. And I can tell you why we do it. And I can tell you why we do this in response to who God is because I know this God. So friend, if you want to begin to battle with your doubts and you have doubts about pieces of the story, I encourage you to read the entire story. The second thing we do is we want to put up our shield of faith is that we want to invite the Holy Spirit. We want to invite the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 14, 25 and 26, he says, the Holy Spirit I am sending to you to be your teacher. Did you get that? The Holy Spirit is to be your teacher. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of all everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so when we sit down to read the story, to engage with, with God's revelation of himself and, and God's ways and, and God's priorities for children who are in his kingdom, we sit down and we pray and we say, Holy Spirit, Will you lead me? Will you guide me? Will you teach me? Because see, God wants his story to be known into your life. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. He's not a God that's trying to play hide and seek from you. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to know his, his ways. And so he sent the Holy Spirit to be the one, as the Bible, uh, as, as we call it, the theologians call it, to illuminate the scriptures. And we get that word, don't we? To illuminate, right? You're walking through a, a dark place and then you turn on a flashlight, suddenly you can see. You can see the things around you. If you're trying to navigate through your house at night, we had that one night where the smoke detector went off and I only have hearing in one ear so I have no idea where sound comes from. So I didn't know if that smoke detector was on the first floor, the second floor, I had, or the basement. I had no idea where it was. So I got up in the dark, trying not to step on cats, trying to not to bang my shin in anything. What I needed to see my way and to see my path was the light. Because when I would have the light, I would be able to see clearly what's around me. And David in the Psalms tells us that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
And the way that happens is we engage with the story, we engage with God's words, and the Holy Spirit teaches us so that we can see, so that we can understand, so that we can grab a hold of, so that we can chase away the enemy with our doubts. And so we pick up the word. We invite the Holy Spirit to come and to lead and to guide us. And then I believe as we pick up this shield when the enemy's shouting at us and saying God's word just doesn't add up, I think we need to humbly accept that we will not understand everything. We humbly accept that we will not understand everything in there. First, I don't think we're going to understand everything about the culture. Because this is a story and a revelation that was given at a, to a certain people at a certain time. And those people in the New Testament lived 2,000 years ago. The people in the Old Testament, 5,000 years, maybe more, ago in a land that's 6,000 miles away from where we are in the Middle East that has a completely different culture. That's the revelation where God gave it. He just, it's just not, it wasn't just up in the air, but it was to a specific people who lived in a specific time, who lived in a specific place. And they had a specific way of thinking, of doing, of living. And in that context, God chose to reveal himself we sometimes call that word accommodation, that God took, as, as immense as God is, he took it and put it in a place and in a culture and a time and a way and revealed himself so that we might be able to understand about him. He accommodated our thinking. And so we need to accept that we do not know everything about the culture of that time. I mean, think how rapid our culture is moving, right? If I were uh, just right now to write and say, Oh, uh, yeah, I went down the street to Blockbuster. The generation today would go, what is, a, what is a Blockbuster? Well, first I called on my rotary phone to see if they were open. What's a rotary phone? They said they weren't open until quarter to five. Well, good thing I had a class in school that taught me how to read a clock. All right, we begin to think how rapid things are changing in our culture. They're already like, what? I don't get that. And to believe that as God is telling us and revealing himself in this culture that we can understand and grasp everything in that culture is not necessarily something that we can do. And we need to humbly admit that, that if there's something we don't understand, maybe it's just I don't get it and I'm okay with that or I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to go find out about it. Because in that culture, a lot of it, the way in their thinking, because see, we also are products of the Enlightenment, Right? from where everything started to be resting on, on science and that we, we know we can have certainty. That wasn't the Hebrew mindset. The Hebrew mindset was about story. It was about concrete. It wasn't lived in the abstract. And so the, the Hebrew way of thinking would not say that we follow a God who is all caring. They would say, we follow God who is like a mother hen who enfolds us under the wings. They experience God. They experience things. But we like to have it all figured out in our heads. We like to do A plus B equals C. And if A plus B does not equal C, then it's wrong, then it's not true. So you can think through, I mean, just think about the genealogies of Jesus in the Bible. You say, well, Matthew and Luke give us two different genealogies, so you know what? I doubt the whole Bible. It's not true. 
That wasn't the way they thought. I, I uh, listened to a podcast by Professor Mark Turnage who was talking about Bible and culture, and he said in this day, in this culture, when stories and narratives were written, the expectation was that you would take the events and you would tweak them according to how you wanted to tell the story. That's they expected it. If they didn't, they were disappointed. If, you, if Mark just rewrote what Luke did, they'd be disappointed. But we say Mark had to write exactly what Luke did, otherwise it's not true. But in their life, when Luke says, let me tell you, O Theophilus, many have taken and written an account about Jesus, but now let me tell you about Jesus. And then he creates his account, trying to achieve his purpose. And so Matthew will list a genealogy and he will go down the royal line because he wants to point to Jesus being tied to King David. So Luke will go down the, the genealogy and maybe through Mary's line because he wants to represent the humanity of God. And Matthew will use 14 generations because it's a specific number. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but he's taking 14 generations to communicate a truth that he's from the king and the dynasty. See, there are things that we don't know culturally that we just have to admit and say it's not wrong because it's not the way we think, but it's the way that it was in that time and culture. And so that's why I think here at Orchard Hill, our pastors do an incredible job of digging deep to mine that culture, to mine the geography, to mine the background, to, to take all of that. Because the Bible is not a science book. It's not a history book. It's not a sociology book. It's a book of faith. It's a book of faith. And so we're always trying to dive in and find out what is the true story of faith that God's trying to communicate here to us about himself and how we are to respond. This is why I think for us, we've been blessed to be able to go to Israel together as a community. We're going to go again next summer because we're able to get into the culture and understand more and the words of the Bible begin to come alive in ways that it hasn't as we understand geography and, and place and cultures and customs. We do the work. We humbly come and say, I don't get this, so therefore it's wrong. We say, I don't get this, so therefore I need to do some more work and figure it out. But so many people will just say, I doubt it's true then, because it's not lining up the way that I think it should. But it never will, because it was in a different culture, a different time. And beyond that, this is God telling his story. And we read in, uh, we read here in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than the heavens. So when we take our thoughts, God says, compare, my, if your thoughts are here, my thoughts we can't even connect with, because we follow a transcendent God. So to think that we, in our puny little human brain, can consider and can figure out and can systematize and, and, and can uh, do the math to figure out our God? I don't want a God that I can figure out in this mind because our God is transcendent. That's the God that I want to follow. The day that I can figure out God, that's a bad day. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It made me think as I struggle, I've been struggling uh, uh, through this season uh, dealing with this. 
I don't know if you can see this. The little puzzle piece. The little puzzle piece, and it's beautiful, it's green, it's pink on a tip here. Uh, it's got some cutouts in there. And imagine that this is our world. This is us in the time where we live. And this is what we know. But what does God know? God knows the big picture, right? Here's the big picture. God knows the big picture. He knows where this little piece, what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, what I find is a challenge, what I find is a doubt, what I tend to question about him when I know it's his story and that all of it is true, he knows exactly where it fits, even when I don't. And I'm humbly acknowledging that. I'm humbly acknowledging that. When I have a doubt, this may be a piece of the puzzle that God knows. And boy, am I happy that God knows. Am I happy that God is sovereign? Am I happy that it's all in God's hands and I don't have to figure it all out? But God has given me enough. He has given me enough in his word so that I might know him. And that's what I need to do if I want to have life. We need to be humble as we come to God's word. But I see so many people who are more prideful. I got the mind. I can figure it out. I can add it up. And if it doesn't, then who's wrong? God and not me. I just think that's not a position we, need to, we should take. And the last thing that I want to say about this is that if you have doubts about the story, remember that it's a spiritual story. Remember that it's a story of faith. And the unique thing about this story, unlike any um, Shakespeare story, any Charles Dickens story, any Harry Potter story, is that this story, the scriptures tell us, it is alive and active. It is alive and active. And those who, put, who, who, who immerse themselves into this story and, and seek the Holy Spirit and listen to the revelation of God of who he is, who we are, and how we should respond to him, and the redemption that he offers us, and the restoration that is coming our way, when we live into this story, into the truth of this story, lives are changed. Lives are changed. So you have doubts when the enemy comes at you and says, oh my goodness, this story doesn't add up. You know what you do? You stand and you look around at your, your church community. You stand and look around at the worldwide witness of the church community of people who opened up this word and their lives were changed and marriages were restored and addictions were, were beaten down and emotional uh, toxic ways of doing life were, were suddenly uh, put to the side because the reality of who Jesus is and the victory that he won over sin and death and the life that God gives us in his kingdom suddenly prevails within them. And it's alive. These are words that are alive. And so, friends, I just want you to hear uh, this week as I was talking with, with Rob, I want you to just, he, we were talking together, and I thought of him at this point because I believe that God's work was alive in Rob's life. And Rob, if you just come up here and join me, 
because I know a little bit about your, your background, uh, your, your upbringing, and uh, the word that I would use is that it was bumpy. That's the word I want to use. But maybe you can tell us about that and, and where, where you were at before you encountered God's word. I grew up in uh, Detroit, Michigan, um, from my real mother, was, when I was taken from my real mother when I was a kid, and uh, I was, became a ward of the court. During that time, I was put into a foster home that physically and mentally and spiritually abused me. Then from there, I was adopted at age seven. At age seven, uh, I lived with my folks until I was a young teenager. They did not get along, they didn't love each other, and they got a divorce. And neither one wanted to take me in again, so the second time I became more to the court. I was bounced around from, from uh, facilities like lockup center, like Fox, or Fox Center in Detroit, guys on one side, girls on the other. From there I went to a, a place called Children's Home Detroit. That was not a lockup facility. That was another guys and group home. Uh, from there, I, I got in a lot of trouble, mischief, was even a Boy Scout there, still not felt loved. Got in trouble a lot. From there, I moved to Honey Creek. That's when the change began to happen. Yes, I did get in trouble a lot at Honey Creek. I ran away, tried to commit suicide several times, stole an old lady's check, tried to cash it with a boy, got in trouble with the law. But along the way, some God had brought some spiritual uh, foster parents that were there, house parents, you call them, not foster parents, that came along and said, Rob, if you want to leave this place, you don't like it so much, we had like certain levels you had to be on. Be on that level, graduate, and move on. Well, I did. I got my act together, graduated from there, but that wasn't the end of the story. When I left Honey Creek, one of the foster parents that was my house staff named Carl Mazer and Jan Mazer, they took me in as their son. They adopted me into their home. I lived with them. They got me a place of my own, uh, got me a job. But before all that happened, during the time of Honey Creek, that's where the change began. I think, Bob, you have another I, question. I, yeah, I just was going to say to you when I heard that, that uh, with that upbringing, right, of being abandoned, um, abuse, like emotional abuse, physical abuse, um, kids mocking you in school, being excluded, being pushed out, being away. It seemed like that's a recipe for a life to continue to go down that path and to continue to walk away from God, to take to take that anger, to take that hurt, to take all of that, right? And who would blame somebody for you? Get all of that in you and, and, and head down a, a really destructive path. But that didn't happen in your life. No. Because you encountered the word. Right. And can you tell us about how you encountered the word? How that happened was one day, my house parents took me to a church in Lowell, a small town church. I don't know all the details of what the passage pre pre preached that day, but it was a message that touched my heart. Um, he was saying, you know, if you need somebody who loves you, who cares for you, who won't let you down, people will let you down, they will always let you down, but the Bible says God won't. He loves you, he died for you, he wants you to be part of that family. If you're willing to give everything up, the only, that's the only part I know of the ending of the message, be the first one to come out of the altar, are you willing to do that? Come down, put your hands on the altar. Nobody moved for like five minutes, and I thought, I'm thinking to myself, this is, who is this God? This has got to be an awesome God who died for me, was willing to take me in, who, and I don't even know this God, and yet he died for me and along with everybody else who wants me to be part of his family, who loves me. I want to get to know this God more. So I stepped out of the pew, 
and went down to the front of the altar and I put my hands on the altar and said, I'm willing to give my life up for God. And when I did that, I felt a bunch of hands on the back of me. I turned around and I saw the whole congregation behind me, like a roll line all the way to the out. And I thought, wow, I'm a natural born leader at this. <laughs> so, but it wasn't two years later after that, that after I left Honey Creek, I built, it was a one way, at that time it was a one way ticket out of hell because I didn't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. But after I got saved, got into the word of scriptures, believed what the message was from the pastors who knew the Bible more than me because it comes from God and knowing that to accept the truth that what God had to say in the Bible, I'm here to say I've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if it weren't for him, I would be locked up today or, or dead. Rob, I, I thank you for that. And, and just, you know, as I listen to that, the hole that you had early on in your life, that nobody loves me, right? Nobody loves me. And then to hear in the word that there's a God who loves me and that he was able to fill that need and fill that hole in your heart and then surround you with a new family, the family of God, who would continue to love you and care for you uh, and support you. Friends, that's the testimony of the word. It's alive and active. You have doubts? You gotta argue with Rob's story. You got doubts about the power of God's word? You gotta argue with my story. Does anybody else have a story here? Everybody, we got stories, look around this room. Well, about a quarter of us have a story. The rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us are gonna have a story someday. Uh, we have stories, which are true, because God's word is alive and God's word is active. And so never doubt that. Friends, that's how we hold up the shield of faith when the enemy is coming at us and going that Bible doesn't add up because we have it all over the place all over the internet conversations you have with friends uh, we got bloggers who are just coming down on God's word saying that just doesn't add up well you know what when you know the story and the Holy Spirit reveals it when the Holy Spirit reveals it to you and I come humbly to that word accepting uh, the word as it is and I watch it change lives I hold that up at any arrow that the enemy is firing at me with doubts, I say, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. I got to tell you, uh, David, uh, in, uh, in his word, says this about the Bible. He says in the, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't David, it was Peter. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.2, he tells us that God's word is like milk that nourishes the soul. Like milk that nourishes the soul. I have to admit that Amy and I have uh, watched too many animal shows and probably what we should have. And one of those we watch is on the Columbus Zoo. And at the Columbus Zoo this year, there was the birth of a baby rhino. It, it was exciting. In fact, they've had two baby rhinos at the Columbus Zoo. Big deal. But the workers stayed there after the baby was born and they stayed there the whole time to watch and see if that baby rhino would go to the mother and then take milk. And they stood there and they watched and they watched and they watched because they knew if that baby rhino did not instantly go to its mother and get the milk, the baby rhino would die, would die. The enemy knows that, right? 
too. As, as Peter says, that God's word is like milk to nourish our soul. That we need God's word. Without the word of God, we die. Because God's word leads us to life. And so the enemy is going to do everything in his power to put those doubts in your head to pull you away from God's word. But in those moments, if you would just put up your shield of faith and live into what David said, David said, God, your words and your ways are right. And give me understanding that I might have life. This is a story where God revealed himself to us. And in this story, we find life. Let us not doubt, but let us humbly come before God and say, God, show me. Show me the words of life. And then let it live and breathe within you. Don't you ever doubt it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. That you loved us so much that you would, the, the great almighty God would reveal himself to us to show us his creation, how we can walk with him and have life forever. And so we thank you for these words. And God, we just pray right now that we would push back the enemy as he tries to keep us out of your word. As he... he fills up our schedule with time where we just say we're too tired, we can't get into it. Maybe we say we don't understand it. Whatever, whatever the enemy is putting in our minds, would you transform us by a renewing of our mind this morning by the Holy Spirit and, and, and move us into your word, God, and make it come alive in our heart and souls. And we give you thanks for Rob's story this morning. We give you thanks for countless of other stories this morning around this room and in this family that can give testimony to change lives because of what we read in your word and what we have lived in our hearts. And we thank you for that life, God. And we know that there are others here that have not experienced that life, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word for them so that they would be able to see the narrow path that they need to walk on. The world and the enemy wants to push us down the wide path, but God, help them to stay focused on that narrow path, knowing that your ways are true and right and they bring life. And I pray that they would find it in this day. God, we thank you for, for being a God who just loves us so graciously, and especially today through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.